Hi, this is Mary Coughlin, and I want to welcome you to the Care Out Loud podcast, presented to you by Caring Essentials Collaborative, founder of the Trauma-Informed Professional Certificate Program and internationally recognized leader in trauma-informed developmentally supportive education for parents and professionals serving babies, children, and families in crisis around the globe. I'm wicked excited you're here as we talk about caring out loud. In each moment lies a unique opportunity to create a kinder, more connected and compassionate world one moment at a time. And it all begins with you. Welcome to today's podcast with Dr. Patricia G. Bondurant, a, a dear friend and an incredible colleague who I am honored to host in today's episode. With over 35 years of clinical and healthcare experience, Patty Bondurant is trusted by her colleagues for her unrivaled expertise in healthcare management, neonatal and pediatric nursing, and quality improvement. Her work regionally and nationally has resulted in improved care and outcomes for newborns, children, and adults alike. Patty is the CEO and Chief Transformation and Quality Officer of Transform Healthcare Consulting, LLC. Patty remains clinically active as a clinical consultant to NICUs around the country, as well as one of the creators and key nursing leaders of the American Academy of Pediatrics NICU Levels of Care Verification Program. Patty is an active board member for Sonova and Vascular Safeguard, as well as the senior consultant and designer of the new Advanced Nurse Leadership Certification Program for perinatal and neonatal nurse leaders. So thanks so much for joining us as we learn all the different ways that Patty cares out loud in a bold way. Share a little bit about how did you arrive at your current role? I mean, I think about I think when we first met, I don't know why, but I have this memory of you and I sitting on a bus together. Is that is that correct? Were we going somewhere? Or it, I mean, many, 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 I many years ago. Many years ago, Mary. I think we both had dark hair then. <laughs> well, we did have dark hair back then. <laughs> um, oh my goodness! I, isn't that terrible? I was just, you know, I was trying to think of when I first, you know, oh. when we first met. Was it at one of the Sonova meetings? We it were was. I think it was a yeah, Sonova I meeting. We were on our way to to Naples, Florida, to go <laughs> shopping, weren't we, Mary? There you go. That you've got a better memory than me. I just remember sitting next to you on a bus. Yes, we were. We left. <laughs> we were down in the. Where were we? What was the name of that place where oh, we used to go? Yeah, Marco Island. Marco Island, right? And they hired a bus to take us to everything, but. What was the name of that jewelry place? Remember, it had oh, all that. Oh, is it jewelry. the Brigham? Brigham? Brighton? Is it, was it? No, no it was everything. What's oh. the name of it? It's in Naples, Florida. We got dropped off and we shopped. Do you remember that? <laughs> I, I do remember I, the I, shopping. It was, it was probably 20 years ago. I, I knew it was a real long time ago. And I am so in awe of you to remember so much detail. <laughs> Well, if it was a bus, that's the only, because you didn't come to the NIDCAP meeting. And, no, uh, I didn't. No. 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 no the only it was other just the leadership. I would have been on a bus was in Brest, France when we, we yeah. did the NIDCAP 
trip. And I think the only other time would have been our, it, we probably did something around developmentally supportive care at that meeting. I would guess. Yeah, or I'm sure we did. To talk about it. Well, that was when Kathy Bush was really running Sonova and, and I was part of Children's Medical Ventures at that time. Right. So that was really kind of um, my connection with all of that experience. But that's been, I mean, so you, you're guesstimating around 20 years. That sounds pretty on point. And from that point, I remember at the time, I think you were the director of the NICU at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Yeah. And right. now you've made so many evolutions in your professional practice, identity, career, all that kind of stuff to include entrepreneurial adventures. And so, you know, I'm just kind of wondering, you know, how, you know, how has that evolution gone for you? How, where are you at right now? It's, uh, I would say my path, Mary, has been not traditional and somewhat <laughs> circuitous, but, but I would say intentional, more intentional than I would have imagined. I, I knew I was never going to be cut out for a chief nursing officer position. It wasn't my goal um, as a clinical nurse specialist which is, you know, I, I became a clinical nurse specialist when I was 25 years old. I realized that the, the love of my profession was around making care better for mm -hmm. babies and kids. Yeah. Yeah. And I will tell you 35 years later, that's still my goal. Yeah. Um, and I felt getting too far away from being able to impact care was not always my passion or my need. But I also realized I needed to have some ability to make strategic decisions when I was no longer close enough to the bedside to do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I would say my my career has been impacting the care and outcomes of babies by multiples. I think that's the way I would describe it. Uh, starting as a staff nurse, uh, I realized that, you know, the my three patient assignment was important on day to day. But very early on in my career, I had a, a, a bigger vision about how I could impact care for kids. Yeah. I went on to University of Washington and um, became a clinical nurse specialist as a result of my two-year program there. Um, and I was the only student asked to stay on for my PhD, but I was young. I didn't feel like it was a, a point in time that I was ready to stay on for school. I wanted to get back and and do what I was uh, uh, trained to do as a clinical nurse specialist and loved being a clinic spec because I felt mm. there was a population then I could impact rather than my daily assignment as a staff nurse. Yeah. And I think I started focusing on the developmentally supportive care that I was able to deliver to mostly my under three population through high-risk follow-up clinic, through developmental clinic recognizing that I had found my niche. Early on in my career as a clinical nurse specialist at Newington Children's Hospital, I was able to, I ran the muscular dystrophy clinic and the cerebral clinic for kids with cerebral palsy. And you may or may not know this, but I skied professionally. No, I did not know that. I did. And I I would go to clinic and we it was back when we started the gate labs. Do you remember when gate labs were important? back in the early 80s when we were starting to look at kids with cerebral palsy and understanding before we did surgery on them, you know, what were the forces that were driving these poor gates and the energy expenditure. And it made me think one day while I was out skiing, 
how could I can impact these kids in a joyful way? Mm. And I went to the place that I was doing business with. I was representing Atomic, the ski equipment and Solomon bindings. And I went to the, as a rep, I went and I said, I really want to start a ski program for kids with cerebral palsy. And he said, what do you need? I'll give you all the equipment. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing, Patty. And so I got a friend of mine. So 30, that was in 1983. This uh, ski program started. I ran it for two years. So I got permission from the director of orthopedics at New England Children's and my CNO to take, I think it was 12 kids we had in the program. It, we chose them specifically for their ability and disability mm-hmm. to take them to Mount Southington in Connecticut on Friday during the winter. And I had five other ski instructors that helped me and we ran the ski program for these kids for the two years. And then I went off to graduate school, but I got, um, uh, a text from a friend of mine in Hartford say, Patty, I want you to know that the ski program is still going. That was two years ago. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What a lovely legacy. Yeah. And, you know, I just wanted these kids to enjoy, you know, they struggle to move every single day. And when I got this one kid, his dad was a professional football player, had left inner city kid from Hartford, his single mom, strong she taught me a lot about being a strong woman. And I got this kid on skis, spastic quad. And I was, he was, I was skiing down backwards. I was holding his, the tips of his skis together. And he looked at me in his very dysarthric way and said, Patty, I've never been able to move like this in my life. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It was anyways, I, it was my joy skiing professionally. I wanted these kids to feel the joy and the ease and movement of gliding and feeling the freedom of the movement. And I think we accomplished that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of my moment to say, I have the power as a woman and as someone that has, you know, a good brain. I was blessed with a good brain to be able to extrapolate this, not just through the ski program, but everything that I was able to accomplish. I wasn't always successful. And I learned I took the opportunities to learn from people who wanted to teach me. And I took the opportunities to learn how to resurrect myself when people didn't believe in me. Yeah. 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 And I think those were the two most important lessons that I've learned over the last 35 years of being a nurse. Um, So impacting the populations, the probably the most vulnerable populations by multiples became sort of my mantra for my career. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I went on to from a clinical nurse specialist to a manager over a group of APRNs uh, as I was doing running the zero to three clinic. And then I was my CNO source saw something in me that I didn't see in myself yet when I was 30, late thirties. And she said, Patty, the n- director of the NICU position is open and I want you to apply for it. Wow. And yeah. So I said, I don't know that I have the qualification. She said, I know you do. So that was at Cincinnati children's and I applied for the position and it, you know, the orientation was once I got the job was here's here are your keys, here are your desk, go do the job. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> like all of us. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. So 14 years into it, I, you know, I was in, I was the director of the senior director. I took other areas of the hospital on, but, you know, I was able to bring the NEEDCAP program to Cincinnati Children's, which 
helped again affect kids and multiples because I couldn't do it alone as the director or the senior director and had a NEDCAP team of 12 nurses that were NEDCAP certified. It brought an environment of nurturing and love to that unit that was sorely needed in a level four NICU, you know? The thing just even recently, and I'm sure you have so many stories of how you have impacted the lives of babies, uh, children, families, your colleagues. But then this really cool adventure where I, I, I kind of felt like I reconnected with you and, and the work that you're doing was with the AAP and the okay. verification project. And I, I, you partnered with Ann Stack and, and others on that project. Am I, am I remembering correctly? Yes, you're right. I was at Texas Children's as a vice president for women's and infants at that point. And it was Dr. Charles Hankins, who was one of the neonatologists that I work with. Do you know, Charles? I know him. I mean, I don't know him personally, but I know of him. Yeah. Great guy. You know, he's very intuitive and he sat me down. I put in my resignation at Texas Children's and said, my family was still in Cincinnati. There were multiple things going on at that time. And he took me to lunch and he said, Patty, you know, we're just starting this work on revising the levels of care document that was written in 2012 by Dr. Ann Stark. The neonatologists that are working on this realize that we can't do this without a nurse and a nurse leader. And we think you've got all the work, the DNA to get this done. So I joined them, I think it was 2014. 14, we started 2015, we started the work together and we culminated in our, you know, verifying NICUs in uh, Texas, starting that in 2016. Mm-hmm. We were a subcontractor of DSHS in Texas who said there are kids that are dying, the mortality rate had increased. These kids are not getting to the right level of care. Wow. And so Medicaid dollars were at risk for those that uh, did not decide to verify. So we were one of the subcontractors uh, for the DSHS team to say, we'll come in and verify. We did probably about uh, 85 plus NICUs uh, in Texas. Our leadership team were the verifying team that included several neonatologists. I think there's a total of eight of us and three nurses, two nurse practitioners, me as the nurse leader. And uh, the verification work demonstrated that uh, we were able to design what we believed based on our experience, what each level of care needed to say they could deliver to designate them as a level two, level three, or level four NICU. And uh, that work culminated in uh, now the national standards that we published in June. Yeah, it's just uh, incredible. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 um, I remember you presenting this work at the NANT conference many years ago, um, and it was just um, incredible. I mean, I was really blown away that the, the academy had invited nurses to be part of this um, this whole process. Because again, you know, I mean, nurses are there, you know, the front line of the care. And if you can't get them engaged, I, at least from my perspective, nothing else really matters. Right. So it was it was really a powerful presentation and subsequent um, publication. And so has it gone national? Are you finding that now there is a requirement at that national government level or national healthcare level that NICUs need to be verified in order to receive funding? Yeah, it's a it's a good question, Mary. Most states are self-verifying states. And the work that's been done on self-verification demonstrates that there is not a lot of efficacy around self-verification. Yeah. And other states have stepped up and said, 
we are going to make the standards of care based in our state based on what the AP standards are now that are published. So several states have come forward, but as excitingly, NICUs have come forward and said, we're not going to wait for our state. We want to make sure we're delivering the level of care that the AEP expects us to do that. So we did a really important seminar through AAP for the clinical leaders group, which is mostly made up of medical directors of NICUs all over the country. Dr. Stark and I did a seminar, in-person seminar with them at one of the meetings in Arizona. We had about 90 people standing room only in the room and probably 150 people on the call. And what we did is we said to the medical directors, we'd like to make sure that you bring your diet partner, your nursing leader partner with you to listen to what we're starting to construct and what we're proposing. It was specifically around the quality and safety standards, Mary, uh, and to say the purpose of us doing this is this is the ultimate quality and safety program uh, as a construct. And so I had the opportunity to pretty much author the quality and safety standards for the AP verification program. And we we got a lot of feedback from that team, good feedback from the folks that participated in that session. And they are now uh, an integral part of the verification program. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, so for all of these experiences and, and that process in particular, how have, well, or has, maybe that's the better question, has this journey then really helped you get a more deeper understanding or insight about the needs of the pediatric population in general? Because I mean, I know you did, you have spent a lot of time in the NICU population, but it does sound like you, you know, you really do encompass that, that larger pediatric population. Do you see that there are um, needs that um, maybe you didn't really appreciate on first blush and, and how can healthcare address those needs now in a more meaningful way with, with all the work and, and discoveries that you've made? Yeah, I, I, I think we're early on in our, our journey of gathering the data because we're doing that now. We're putting together a database. A lot of it was pretty anecdotal based on uh, what we learned in Texas, Mary, but I think really this is my perspective and I can't speak for the entire leadership team, but I, I would tell you one of the things that um, I've witnessed is that we this has this work, the AP NICU verification has been a a guidepost for medical directors and nursing directors to say, this is who we are and this is what we need to do and the environment we need to construct to safely care for these these babies and their families. It was all encompassing, Mary, you know as well as I do how it's a team sport in the NICU and and how we engage our families and and caring uh, for these babies and how, because part of our verification work is that we have time with the families. Yeah. That we need to know that our, our, you know, we have to understand we are not just making assumptions about what we know about the delivery of care, but we need to hear from our families that we've got a board engagement at the highest level of the organization um, to make sure that the board understands that the NICU is the front door of care for many families uh, yeah. in our communities and how important that that first impression and and the developmentally supportive care and the long-term consequences if we don't do what we say we do, right? Yeah, exactly. That that our families in our community suffer at the hands of all of us that are given the gift of 
caring for these babies in these families early on. Yeah. It's, it's so much bigger than the disease, you know, their needs are so much bigger. And, and I still see folks today still, I'm not saying that the disease is not important, but these individuals need so much more and it can't be looked at as, you know, fluff or something extra. It is integral and, and in, in exquisitely interconnected into their entire experience and journey through that disease process and the hospital experience. Yeah. Yeah. You, Mary, you say something that's really important. One of the things that I've learned along this journey, and I would say most of our leader, AAP leadership will tell you the same, but my experience is understanding how much I have learned and absorbed through not just NIDCAP, but our therapist. You know, I do, I'm a great supporter of the NANT work. And, you know, some of the delivery of care that we have to do to save these babies as physicians and nurses in the NICU is traumatizing to the baby, traumatizing, uh, you know, neurochemically traumatizing Mm -hmm. to these babies and to these mothers and to the caregivers. And I look at this being a team sport and how important it is that we balance some of the, the brutal things that we need to do to these babies on a daily basis with the warmth of our skin to skin with the, the the interdisciplinary team of our therapists uh, that provide the therapeutic guidance to our often our nurses and the physicians uh, from a developmental standpoint and how it's such a delicate balance for us on a daily basis in these big level three and level fours to say how how do we make sure that we get these kids physiologically where they need to be stable, but also balance the developmental and emotional needs of these babies and these uh, families uh, in a meaningful way. It is it is a balance on an everyday basis when I go into these NICUs and you know some people say they do this, other people give lip, lip service to it. There are other places that are remarkable in balancing that well, but it's not standard. And you know that as well as I do, right? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, folks really struggle. And I understand, you know, some of the, you know, perceived, you know, safety challenges with this, you know, it's, it's a skill, just like anything else, learning to balance, you know, the, the, the technical skills and, and, and that, you know, piece of the the care with the human aspects of engaging with other during, and you use a really good word, brutal you know, during some of these really brutal medical interventions that are necessary to save their an individual's life. But in the absence of that individual feeling seen and feeling loved through that brutal experience, then it, it really, it becomes maltreatment, you know, that we need to find that, that compassion within us, because not only will it mitigate and ameliorate that lived experience for that little individual, but for us as well, knowing right. that, I know this sucks, but you know what? I'm here for you. Your mommy's here for you. Or, you know, I mean, we're going to help you get through this so that you learn resilience, you cultivate resilience and understand that bad things happen in life, but you, you can get through bad things with, yes. with another, you right. know? Yeah. And I, I think that's a really important point, Mary, that I found that as a leader in a in NICU and in women's services that yes, we really had to balance the technical piece of what we did with the love and nurturing because guess what once those babies are stable the love and nurturing is going to allow the parents to connect with them 
mm-hmm. and they go home and become vital parts of our community. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I had the gift of backing into the NICU after uh, serving these families and these babies in the zero to three environment in the community, as well as in the hospital. And I witnessed firsthand the consequences of us not doing our job. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, um, yeah, distressing and disturbing because it doesn't have to be that way. Right. But, but I think kind of coming back to something you had said earlier about um, you knew you had, there was a bigger vision for you and, um, and being at that bedside, is certainly, you know, important and, and valuable, you know, and, and you love, you know, that, that real intimate experience with the patient, but you have the opportunity as a leader, as an educator, as a, you know, a, all of all of the things, right, to touch even more lives as, you know, a leader, as an entrepreneur. And I, and I know that that's another, it feels like a newer dimension of your evolution of your career and your role. Can you share a little bit about those aspects of your professional identity? Yeah, I, I, so I, I go back to the idea of, you know, I really am an example of the road less traveled and hoping that other nurses will embrace that the CNO, and listen, I'm not not dissing the CNO position. It's a very important and relevant position for people that want to do that work. I do think that as nurses, we are smart, we are powerful, that we have an opportunity to change the course of care besides being in the CNO role. And I, that was my road less traveled, Mary, that I, 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 I was able to see that early on and how I could impact once I left uh, my role as a vice president, I was asked to come to the commercial side and I ended up running, uh, I was the CEO of the Z-Flow and Sundance company. Yeah. I did the clinical trial at Cincinnati Children's on it and it was able to see how that particular product was able to increase the deep sleep and sleep wake of the babies that we enrolled in this study. It, yes, it wasn't a powerful study. There were less than 45 babies but I was convinced enough to say that if we can inc- uh, increase deep sleep uh, in this small population of babies, and we know what happens in deep sleep, that these babies' uh, brains develop and they heal better, yeah. that I was sold. Yeah. And when I left my position at the hospital and took the CEO position, I, w- I think I was a good spokesperson for the work that we did at Cincinnati Children's using this product. We were then quickly within 10 weeks of me taking the CEO position acquired by a big international entity. So I had the opportunity of taking the company through the earnout, learning of the business side of that, not necessarily loving it, but recognizing it was adding to my skills. Mm-hmm. I stayed in that position for three years, but in the meantime, I had a lot of people as we continued the work with the AP had a lot of people say, Patty, we need your skills. Will you consult yeah. to us? And that, that, that started to become the birth of my consulting on quality and safety and on governance structures and, and empowering nurses, not just in NICUs, but in most many pediatric hospitals around how do I incorporate quality and safety to the care that I deliver and the strategy of governance and how that empowers nurses to do the work that they need to do and nurse leaders the work they need to do around quality and safety. And so that's what I focused on for the last almost four years now, Mary, is uh, my consulting work and my executive coaching 
that really incorporates all the elements of what I was gifted as a nurse leader. And now, again, uh, impacting nurse leaders and staff and, and babies ultimately in multiples by the work that I'm doing. I love it. I love it. I mean, for me, you really exemplify what it is to care out loud. And I don't know what you thought when you saw that that name, you know, did you think, oh, she's a nutcase? I don't know what it, it is. I but- loved it. Oh, yay. <laughs> I loved it. Mary. I, well, it spoke to me about you too. I have to say that. Oh, God love you. Because <laughs> I, I think you were an early uh, spokeswoman mm-hmm. for what would, should have been an elemental piece of care. And I think you brought that to life uh, through the work that you did. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I just wanted to kind of get your insight and maybe like, besides the compliment, which I'm super grateful for, for you, what did it mean then? You know, so you loved the term care out loud. How would you describe that? What does it mean to you then to care out loud? Yeah, well, for me, it means that it wasn't never about me making a name for myself, Mary. I, people yeah. will tell you that I'm I'm not very good at promoting myself. It, that wasn't why I went into nursing. Funny, my brother would always, you know, I complain about the work hours. I'd always complain about, about um, you know, not getting paid enough. And he'd say, for God's sakes, Patricia, you didn't go into healthcare to help the walking wounded to make millions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, you know, my brother was schooled in Boston and sp- spoke like a typical Bostonian, <laughs> the austere nature of his himself. But it wasn't what I was in, yeah. in for the ride. Like all of us, Mary, we didn't yeah. go in to do this to make millions. We went in and I can say I've never lost that that passion of wanting to make a difference. And that I think that's part of being able to care out loud is at this stage of my career, I care out loud in a bold way because I don't feel like I need to remain within the construct of what people think nursing is. And I was able to, the other thing that I, we really haven't talked about is that I was able to cross the boundaries and mesh what people thought physicians and nurses did. Mm -hmm. I, I, ran a program in Cincinnati after I left Cincinnati Children's that was, it was an HHS, a quality improvement and a health IT uh, project that was funded in 17 communities. And it was the only nurse led one in the country yeah. because they had posted it for a physician. Mm-hmm. And I said, you don't need a physician to do this job. I'm qualified to do it. And they hired me. And I, and I would say my same job as the chief for quality and safety and I'm not dis- discounting the, my physician colleagues. I I will tell you, I've had great partnerships over the years with my physician colleagues, but I was able to demonstrate the breadth and knowledge mm-hmm. that a, a solid nurse leader can bring to a chief in quality and safety position. And I do think I was well-respected in that role. So, so when I care out loud, I care out loud to say to other nurses, to the world and to our communities to say, uh, as nurses, this is who we can be. Yes. And it's who I've been, you know, follow me if you want, but find your own path just yeah. as importantly, right? Just like you found your own path, yeah. Mary. It's the only way to live your best self yes. is find your own path, break down those silos because those silos aren't really serving anybody. And no who ends up paying the biggest price 
is is the patient, the family, society at large. When we continue to just, you know, isolate ourselves and and act out these roles that really don't represent our core mission, our core yeah. calling for the work that we've chosen, whether it's nursing, medicine, rehabilitation, and, and therapy, whatever that path is, we need to commingle and cross-pollinate to really bring, bring the best of all of us yes, yes. to the service that's, that we do. That's a great way to say it because I am a better, I am a better professional. I'm a better nurse for my relationships with uh, my staff yeah uh, with you know this generation that that we're all leading now that uh, I don't I we listened I have to listen to they understand mm-hmm. things that I don't understand mm-hmm. but so I I would say I don't always just look up I look to the people who are now at the front line that's continue to teach me I look to my physician colleagues who I adore and that I've learned from I look at to my therapist colleagues and what they've taught me over the years about the uh, how do we be gentle in nature while we deliver this brutal care. I've learned so much from the people. And I, you have to keep your ears and your heart open to all of that. And I, I've learned in a non-traditional way. And I appreciate that. Oh, my goodness, Patty, you are a rock star, my friend. This I am so grateful that you've shared your time, your wisdom, your story with me and, and everyone who's listening. This has been incredible. I, I, I do have one final question for you. So I like to do, this is kind of an evolution of what I did with my season one series and asking a question that kind of takes people by surprise. So Sit, sit straight, hold on to your armrest there. And I'm going to ask you kind of rapid fire a few of your favorite things. I don't want you to think too hard about it. First thing that comes into your head. Favorite book. Leading change. Favorite movie. Love story. Love it. Favorite song. Hang on, now I've got all my, my Christmas music on here. Hang on. Perfect. Oh, that is a good one. That yeah. is a good one. I'd say that's my most contemporary favorite song is Perfect. It, it, I love it. It is a combination of all the feelings I have on a regular basis. Oh, my goodness. Patty, thank you so very much. <laughs> well, I was going to ask your favorite activity. Oh, I still have to say skiing. I was thinking you might say that. Yeah. (laughs) It is such a peaceful place for me. That's awesome. And favorite color. Pink. pink. Love it. Yes, of course, girl. Yeah. It's my pink is power for me. Yep. Pink is power for me as well. Patty. Yeah. I love pink. Yep. I think we've been connected in in many ways over the year. So it just was nice to reconnect with you and and what the work you're doing. I think being a nurse and doing this work helps me see the relevance and the importance of it on such a larger scope, you know, that, that we're all patients, you know, I mean, we all have that potential. And so it's so important to be able to see that it's not just these individuals or these individuals, we all need to feel seen, loved, treated with dignity and respect. But I also being a clinician can see that it's not that all of these people that get trained are barbaric, heartless robots. No, they also have their own story of of sorrow and pain and they've been jaded by the system and all these other factors. And so really understanding that has been such an important 
evolution and, and growth for myself to to see that this is not a binary world. There's nothing binary about I life. Agree. And, I agree. Um, and people need to be reminded of that and yeah. be connected with it. Uh, you know, I love that, Mary. And none of us are spared the pain that yeah. life brings us, right? Yeah. And yeah. and we have, I think, as uh, nurses, we have an obligation to make sure we're healed and present yes. when we're with these new leaders, when we're mm-hmm. with these these staff that are looking to us for guidance, yeah. and with these families who look to us to help get their babies home. I, I, there, there's nothing more important than what we do. There is nothing. There is nothing. Yeah. Florence hit the nail on the head about us managing that human experience. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, And it's an awesome task. It is an awesome and so rewarding. Yes. Challenging, which, you know, I mean, the adrenaline side of me loves the challenge of it. And, um, and that you're, we always get to grow and evolve in that. I'm not the same person I was 45 minutes ago, Mm -hmm. you know, just from my encounter and experience with you and to be able to be present and know that is such a gift, you know, mm-hmm. and, and as a good leader, I mean, that's what you teach, you know, those that you're, you're grooming for those positions, right, is to be present, to be intentional, to be awake, to, you yeah, know. to be awake. And, and honestly, to be a bit of a rule breaker, Mary, you got to do it, got to do it. And, you, you know, nurses are, are we're, we're all trained to, yeah. to do what we're uh, told to do. Good nurses break rules. Good nurses break rules. You have to start to become awake and aware to that residual misogyny that's left over in our society at large, that it's that systemic trauma that's Mm -hmm. all around us, but you can't see it. It's not helping you and it's not helping you help others. Right. It's so perfectly said, Mary. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was so hard for Patty and I to end our conversation. We could have gone on forever. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Please join me next week for Leadership Lessons from Sue Ludwig, President and Founder of the National Association of Neonatal Therapists. Showing up on purpose makes the difference, and that difference begins when we care out loud, boldly, together.